All right, it's really good to see you guys. Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer, then we'll read this opening text and uh, begin to kind of go through some scriptures tonight and talk about some things. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to come together in this house and in your name uh, and through your promises. And you know every man and woman in this room, myself included, there's not a single one of us here that have any kind of... uh, merit or deserve to come to you and yet you loved us and sent your son jesus to die to save us and you sent your holy spirit to live in us that we might have communion and fellowship with you and so we thank you we thank you for your gift of grace we thank you for the gift of salvation we thank you for your mercy your love and your truth and we thank you for your word your promise we thank you for your truth and so lord that is what we seek tonight we seek truth And there's each and every one of us in this room. You tell us in your word that our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can know them? And just when we think we've got things figured out, you expose to us areas in our lives that need to change. And so my prayer tonight is is that we go through your word as we test ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. I pray that you will use this time to grow us closer to you. I pray if there be a man or a woman within the sound of my voice that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that you would bust their heart wide open and show them your grace and salvation. I pray for those in, that do know you that, that are, are backsliding or are slipping away from you, Lord. I pray that you will encourage them and give grant them the repentance they need to turn back uh, to walk with you faithfully. And for those that are walking with you, um, help us to see the areas in our lives that still need to change. And so I just pray that as we study your word tonight, that you will use it to conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so Lamentations 3.40 says, Let us search out and examine our ways, and let us return to Yahweh. Let us search out and examine our ways, and let us return to Yahweh. Now, the book of Lamentations is written after the... uh, Babylonians had uh, ransacked Jerusalem and drug everybody off into slavery. And Jeremiah was writing this lamentation as he walked through the city and sees all of the desolation around him. The beautiful city of God, the temple has been destroyed basically, and all of the houses have been burnt, and all of the people of any kind of name or or, uh, notoriety have been drug off into slavery and jeremiah is walking around and that's why this book is called the lamentation it's a it's a mourning over god's people and a mourning over all of the the destruction and the chaos and the and and the emptiness and the barrenness of what used to be a city that was full of god's people and full of god's praises and we need to remember that the reason why God allowed the Assyrians and the Babylonians to come in and destroy his people was because of idolatry, right? What is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. And unfortunately, the children of Israel had submerged themselves into worshiping all kind of idols. And so God removed his hands of protection from them and turned them over to their own desires. And they were destroyed. And Jeremiah is writing this, and he's crying out to God as he sees all of this destruction around him. And so he says, let us search out and examine our ways. Why did this happen? Why am I in this position that I'm in? Why is it that I'm suffering? Why is all this pain around me? Let us examine our ways. Look around you and see the destruction around you. See the, the chaos and the 
the perversity and the wickedness and the, the brokenness and the shame. And then let us return to Yahweh. And I want to remind you guys of something. What is the term used in the Bible most often for returning to Yahweh? Anybody know what that word is? What is the word that John the Baptist would preach or Jesus would preach? When Jesus and John the Baptist came, they didn't come preaching God loves you and has a plan for your life. That is not what he was preaching. That's not what Jesus was preaching. And that's not what John the Baptist was preaching, preparing for Jesus to come. What was their message? Repent. Repent. For the kingdom is at hand. And what does it mean to repent? Who remembers what it means to repent? What does it mean? Ask forgiveness. To have a change and turn away from. To have a change. Good. Good. So, unfortunately, we as human beings in our fallen nature love to take some responsibility for fixing things. And so, in religion, there's a term known as penance. And penance is the things that you do to earn back favor with God. Penance. You pray. uh, You might flog yourself on the back with a whip. Or you might fast. Or you might spend 40 days reading your Bible every day. Or you might sober up and be good. These are things that you do. It's penance. It's things that you do to find favor again with God. And what the Bible teaches us is that God does not want us in penance He wants in repentance. And repent means to recognize that I'm going the wrong way and to turn around. To realize that I am going the wrong way and to turn around. So repentance, ladies and gentlemen, is not when you cry. Repentance is when you change. And what you'll find in the Bible, the Bible actually teaches us that repentance is a gift from God. God grants us repentance. One of the first steps in your salvation is that God allows you to see what you look like from his point of view. It's why we need the law. We need the law to drive us to the cross. The law says, no, you're going the wrong way. And we turn away from God's judgment and his wrath and we turn to his mercy and his forgiveness. And I was reminded this week, I was counseling with somebody and they have a son who is an alcoholic. And it's been a while since I've struggled with addiction in my own life. But I'm constantly reminded of how pervasive and how wicked the idolatry of addiction is. Because that's what idolatry is, or addiction is. It's an idolatry. What you have done is you have looked for something in the creation to give you the things that only the Creator can give. You found something in the creation and you're using it to try to find peace and hope and uh, and that message of everything's going to be okay. And the problem is, is that when we as fallen creatures turn to the creation for our answers, it only exasperates the, pro- exasperates the problem. And so we have to turn from the creation and turn to the creator. And I was reminded this week of how, how ingrained that idol, idolatry is in our hearts. There was a guy named John Calvin. Some of y'all probably heard of him before. He said that the human heart is an idol factory and that we are constantly making something up to worship. 
and it's anything but God. We try to find something in the creation of worship. So whether it's drugs or alcohol or whether it's the next relationship with that girl that's just going to make it all work or whether it's uh, a job and financial stability or whether it be uh, going to the gym and getting fit or whether it be whatever it might be, as long as we're dependent on the creation to give us the hope and the joy and the peace we need, our hearts are going to remain empty and we're going to remain in rebellion because we're worshiping something other than God. And so God commands us to repent, to turn away from ourselves, to turn away from what you have done or what you are going to do or what you are doing now. Right? Well, I'm going to get that right. Or some of us in this room, you know what it means to live in your guilt. And you're constantly beating yourself up for the things that you did in your past. All right. Well, as long as you're beating yourself up over those things that you did in the past to drive you to the cross and find forgiveness is okay. But the devil will bring up the things that you've done in your past, too, to keep you from enjoying the forgiveness that you have. But the point being is, is that as long as I'm depending on something that I've done in my past, like maybe the guilt of something I've done in my past keeps me from coming to Christ, keeps me from turning away from myself and turning back to Him and His forgiveness and His mercy. Or maybe something that I'm doing today, that one thing that's mine that He's not going to have, keeps me from enjoying a fellowship with Him. Or maybe you're planning on in the next couple of days or when I get out of here, I'm going to... You see? And what's happening is you're depending on yourself. Or you're depending on something in the creation to give you the peace, the hope, the guidance, the assurance, the joy, the love, the the fulfillment that only God can give. And so he commands us to repent. And so Jeremiah is walking around looking at all this destruction and all this desolation in his life. And what does he say? Let us search out and examine our ways. Why is my life like this? And guys, you're going to find out it's because of sin and rebellion towards God. And you know what? You're going to struggle with things that you've done in your life for the rest of your life. Like, there's going to be implications and ramifications of things that you, decisions that you have made and things that you have done with your mind, your body, your soul, and your spirit that are going to have eternal, or not eternal, but, but ramifications to the rest of your life. You're going to struggle with things. And everything that you do, what does it say? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he reap. And if he sows to the flesh, he reaps destruction. If he sows to the spirit, he reaps eternal life. And so we need to understand that every decision that you make, every emotion that you have, every choice that you make, everything that you do is going to play out in your life and in the lives of the people around you. God tells us to love him and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And the decisions that you make and the things that you do are going to affect you and your neighbors. And so we need to understand that Jeremiah said, let's let's search out, let's examine our ways and let us return to Yahweh. Let's realize what it is that's put me in this position and let's repent. Let's turn away from it. And I was as I was counseling with this person, I, I re- realized how crippling an idol is or how crippling an addiction is. You'll destroy your family. 
You'll destroy yourself. I, I got a friend of mine right now who just had been in the hospital for six weeks, and now he's home, and he's got cirrhosis of the liver. And he can't get a liver transplant because when you have cirrhosis, they put you at the bottom of the donation list because they just figure you'll get healed up and drink it up again and destroy it. He's going to die. He's a good, fun-loving guy. Well, not good, but he's a he's a, a human being created in God's image. And he was one of my friends. That I, he still is my friend. But he was uh, the guy at every party that, that was the last one to stop. He would either pass out or run out of money. One of the two was going to happen. And he's lived that way for 50-something years, and now he's going to die. And there's nothing he can do about it. Nothing. And I can't tell you the number of times that I've seen pictures up on this wall here of people who have been in this house that left here and went back out and relapsed and, and died. Now, I'm not saying that to depress you. I'm saying that to tell you we have to repent. We've got to turn away from what we've done in the past and turn to Christ and know his mercy and know his forgiveness and continue to walk in fellowship with him. And what Jeremiah is doing right here is he's saying, test yourself because the deception of sin will destroy you. And not only will it destroy you, but it will make you think that you are making good decisions, that you're doing the right thing, that you're making progress the whole time. You're destroying yourself. So we're going to test ourselves. And what is it that we use to test ourselves? Every one of you in the morning, you get up, you go brush your teeth, you brush your hair. Hopefully you put on some deodorant and you get ready. And you, right, and you look in the mirror and you say, man, what a good looking person I am. And ain't nobody in this place as pretty as I am. And that mirror tells you a lot about yourself, doesn't it? Right? Every one of you bend in closer to that mirror and pop a bump or something and say, oh, man, look at that scar right there. I remember where I got that. And that mirror is constantly reminding you of who you are. And that's what God's Word is for. God's Word is a mirror for you to hold up to your life, to your thoughts and your words and your actions and your emotions and who you are. And you may be able to fool everybody in this building. You may be able to fool your counselors. You may be even able to fool yourself. But God knows who you are in your depths. And you're not going to fool Him. And so He commands us to take the mirror of His Word every day and examine ourselves and to test ourselves with His Word. I just watched a video of a preacher friend of mine uh, night before last. And uh, it was embarrassing to me. He... he uh, he opened up. He said, "We're going to be in the book of I forget what it was. Maybe it was James. Yeah, I think it was James. But uh, this man's been preaching for 15 years, and he sat there for 10 minutes trying to find that the book of James as he was talking to the crowd. And I watched him. He turned back to the table of contents so he could find out where James was. Now that's what he's going to preach on that night. So you could tell he was really prepared." Because he knew exactly where James was in the Bible. No, he didn't. He literally, this preacher had to look in the table of content to find out what page the scriptures were on. Guys, we got to be more familiar with God's word. You've got to know it. And it's got to know you. Amen. So we test ourselves. So now, let's look at another passage of scripture. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 13.5. 2 Corinthians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. And we're looking at 
chapter 13 and verse 5. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And this is what it says. Test yourselves. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? So what is Paul saying? In modern lingo, check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? Test yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Don't be deceived. Guys, I can't tell you the number of years in my life. I was baptized when I was eight years old. I ran down an aisle because I didn't want to go to hell when my granddaddy was preaching when I was eight years old. I ran down an aisle. But you know, I wasn't running to Jesus. I was running from hell. It's anything that any human being would do. Do you know what that's called? It's called self-preservation. Self-preservation. I'm running from hell because I don't want to burn forever. But salvation is not just running from hell. It's running to Christ. It's running to the life that he gives. A life that is full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness, self-control and long-suffering. And so we need to test ourselves. I, I was convinced at a very young age that I was completely saved. And yet I went out and fell into all kind of sin. For, the, for 20-something years, I just went out and indulged myself in whatever I wanted to do. And I almost destroyed myself, and I hurt so many people. To this day, I still weep because of some of the things that I've done in my past. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven for those things. But I think about all the people that I hurt because I was selfish and because I was self-indulgent. And it was about me. But then God granted me repentance. He allowed me, finally, through a lot of time and a lot of his long-suffering and a lot of his mercy, he finally allowed me to see what I look like from his point of view. And it was the most horrifying thing that I ever experienced in my life. And I never have to want to see that again. He granted me the ability to turn away from sin and self and turn to him and to know him. And I can't take credit for any of that. Because if it were not for him, if it wasn't but for the grace of God, there go I. If it wasn't but for the grace of God, I would be probably dead today. That's right. Amen. You see? And he granted me that repentance to turn and to trust him. And now that I'm his child, now that he lives within me, he commands me to walk in his ways. And I still struggle today. I still struggle with thought patterns that I had when I was a 17-year-old boy. Still, to this day. But the difference in me today and the difference in me 20 years ago is today I struggle with sin. I don't embrace it. I'm still a sinner, guys, and I mess up every day. And I I heard an old preacher say it this way. If some of you guys knew some of the things that go through my mind, y'all wouldn't sit out here and listen to me. But if I knew some of the things going through your mind, I might not stand here and preach, right? Right. (laughs) The reality is, man, that we're a mess. And we need God's forgiveness. We need His love. We need His grace. We need His mercy. We need His truth. We need His Spirit to strengthen us and give us the strength and walk in ways we can on our own. And we need His Holy Spirit. We need His Word to allow us to examine ourselves and see who we are. And it's not fun and it's not honest. 
If you've ever noticed, we like to have people around us that tell us things we like to hear. No, not really. Right? No, you don't? I'm that person. I keep it straight and I want everybody to keep it straight. Well, I hope we can all be like that, but the reality is that all of us like to have our egos uh, stroked a little every once in a while. You know? Everybody does. I really don't. Okay. Good. I'm glad you don't. I'm I'm glad that that's not something that you struggle with. But uh, I can tell you this. It's hard sometimes to tell the truth, like when when you're put to the to the your feet are put to the fire. If they really care about you, they would tell you the truth. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I agree. But it's still, um, again, the human mind, the human psyche, the human ego, our fallen nature that's within us is very perversive and very slick, and knows how to get what it wants. All right, and so we need to understand that. But we need to test ourselves. And Paul is telling us out here, examine yourself, test yourself to see if you are in the faith, examine yourself, or do you not recognize it about this about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? So we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Okay? Now with that said, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Um, when I say that I am in Christ, one of the first pictures I want you to think of when you think of being in Christ is I want you to think of Noah's Ark. They were in the ark, and therefore they were safe from God's wrath. If you are in Christ, you are safe from God's wrath. Amen. All right? But he says, if Christ is in you. And one of the things that we need to understand about our walk with Christ is, is that if he's in me, he's going to come out of me. Mm-hmm. And my words, my emotions, my thoughts, my feelings, my actions, and who I am. And so what do we do? We've got to test ourselves. Why is it so important to test ourselves? Well, let's turn to another passage of Scripture and look. Look at verse uh, 1 Corinthians. Back to your left just a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9, 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Now look what it says right here in verse 9. Or do you not know... That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolater, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's the law. But the gospel says, what? Look what it says next. And such were. See that? Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Now that washing was not your baptism at at your local church. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the Holy Spirit coming over and performing a regenerative act in you. He said, I will wash you clean. I will reach in there and I will rip that heart of stone out of you. I will place within you a heart of flesh. I will fill you with my spirit and give you the strength to walk in a way you never could on your own. That's Ezekiel 36. You can go 20, verse 20. Ezekiel 36, 20 through something. But that's what he's saying. He's saying you were... But you have been washed. You were sanctified. That word sanctified means set apart. 
God reached down into a world full of people that deserved hell and said, I love you too much to let you keep living that way. And in his amazing grace, he reached down and pulled you out of the masses of humanity and said, you're mine. You belong to me. That's what it means to be sanctified. God reached down into a world full of people who deserve hell and said, I love you too much. My son died to save you, and I'm not going to let you live like that anymore. And he reached down, and he pulled you out of the mass of humanity, and he washed you clean. He ripped that heart of stone out of you. He gave you a heart of flesh, and he filled you with his spirit and gave you the strength to walk in a way that you couldn't on your own. And all of that is God's work. And it's a beautiful thing to think about. You were sanctified. Now, not only were you sanctified in the fact that you were set apart from the rest of the world, but the term sanctification is a lifelong process that takes place from the time that he changed your heart, the time he regenerated your heart, until the time you draw your last breath on this earth. Your sanctification will continue on into eternity. But what it means is, is that for the rest of your life, God's Spirit is going to be working in you to conform you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so what will happen if your heart has been changed, if his spirit's in you, then you're going to be able to look back over your life and not just last week, by the way, guys, like sanctification is a lifelong process. And when we focus on just little gains we get for this week, from last week, uh, we'll stumble and fall. Don't look back. Look forward to what he's making you into, you see? And so it's a lifelong process, but you'll be able to look back over years and you'll be able to see where God has been at work all along and he's been changing you and conforming you to, to the image of his son Christ. Restoring in you what you lost in Adam. Adam was created in the image of God and that image was marred in sin and God reached down to save you to restore you to what you were before the fall. And it's a beautiful picture of what God's doing. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Okay? So, he's saying, again, look at verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? What is an unrighteous person? It's someone who is declared guilty in God's eyes. All through the Old Testament, Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I just saw it here at Christmas time with Mary and Miriam and Zechariah and Anna. And all these people said they were righteous. Now, all of them were sinners. All of them did fell and did things the wrong way. But they were righteous in God's eyes. What does that mean? When God looked down upon them, he seen, he seized the righteousness of his son clothing them. What's going to get you into heaven one day is not what you do. It's what Christ has done for you. Amen. And so you remember in the garden when Adam and Eve was naked, what did God do? He took a lamb, he sacrificed, and he took the skin of that lamb, and he covered them and covered their nakedness. Right? And so the same thing happened when Jesus died on the cross. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And when he was slain on that cross, when the Father took all of the wrath and the hell that you deserved and poured it on his Son, he then not only took away your sin, but he took his Son's righteousness and clothed you in your nakedness and your inadequacy. And when God looks down on you, it's not that he sees your faults anymore. He sees his Son's goodness. It's his Son's righteousness that is going to get you into heaven. But if his son's righteousness is in you, it's going to come out of you. In your thoughts, your emotions, your words, your actions, and who you are. 
And so do not be deceived. You cannot leave here and go out and live your life like a child of hell. Because if you go out and live your life as a child of hell, you are showing God and the rest of the world that you are of your father, the devil. That's what he told the Pharisee, the most religious guy on the planet. He said, you are of your father, the devil. They said, we have Abraham as our father. He said, if you, if Abraham was really your father, you would do the works of Abraham. He saw my day and believed in me. You are not of your father, Abraham. You are of your father, the devil. And so if you go out of this place and you go back and live like hell, you're proven not only to yourself and you're proven not only to your family and to your neighbors and all of the people around you, and most importantly, you're proven to God who you really are on the inside. It's going to come out. So test yourself. Take God's word and hold it up to your emotions and to your thoughts and to your feelings and to your actions and say, am I reflecting what a child of God is? And if the answer is no, what do we do? What is where we learn to begin a lesson? Repent. Repent. Recognize you're walking the wrong way and turn around. Turn back to God's mercy. Turn back to God's forgiveness. His grace and his mercy is there. Okay? So, let's look at another passage of Scripture. That was 1 Corinthians 6. Now, let me, I, again, I want to, before we turn from that, look again. You need to know this. This is what Paul's saying. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, remember, an inheritance is not something you earn. That's so important to remember. Inheritance is a gift that a family member gives you when they die. And you don't deserve it. They give it to you because you're family. You see? So to inherit the kingdom of God is not because you made a choice to trust Christ. It's not because you pray. It's not because you sobered up and read your Bible now. It's not because you don't cuss and drink and smoke. It's because you are his child. And he purchased that inheritance for you on that cross. And now you're his kid. You're the father's child through adoption. And you're his kid and you're going to receive the inheritance. It says we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. And an inheritance is not something that you earn. It is a gift that you receive. So look what he's saying again. You will not inherit the kingdom of God if you go out and you are sexually immoral, you are an idolater, an adulterer, an effeminate or homosexual, a thief, greedy, drunkard, reviler, nor swindler. None of those people are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so the reason I'm bringing this up is we can't go out and live self-deceived. If you are a liar, now again, Every one of us in this room probably struggle with some of these sins in our lives. All right? I'm not saying you're perfect. What I'm saying is is that you struggle with that sin now. You don't go out and embrace it. You see the difference? If you are truly a child of God, you will respect your father and you will respect his uh, uh, commands and you will live obediently as his child. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And his standard has never changed. And it never will. 
He is not going to allow sin in His eternal kingdom. So test yourself. All right, next verse. Matthew 7, verses 15 to 23. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 23. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this. Uh, Matthew 7, verses 15 to 23. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from a thorn bush or figs from a thistle? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and throw, thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Now we're not done. Watch what he says next. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, that's judgment day, Lord, Lord, in your name did we not prophesy? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name do many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. All right, now, a lot to think about in there. First of all, Jesus is saying, beware of false prophets. Now, when we think of that, we're thinking about the TV evangelists that take all your money. Right, that, or or these crooks that come in, fly by night crooks that come in and and wreck churches, or come in and teach you uh, false doctrine, or, or teach you uh, things that are not scriptural. A false prophet. A prophet is someone who speaks for God. Right? They they are a mouthpiece for God. But the reality is, is this can apply be applied to the single individual believer too, because you are professing something in your life. Paul uses the term your daily conversation, right? And that's not just the things you're talking about. In the Bible, your daily conversation is your walk and your talk, your emotions, your feelings, your actions, who you are. And it's a daily thing. And he's saying, be careful because there's a lot of people out there walking around shouting, holy, holy, holy. And on judgment day, God is going to say, get away from me. I don't even know who you are. So look what he says. He says, you can tell, you can, you can judge him. See, I, guys, I can't judge a single one of you by looking in your heart. And it's really not my place to judge you by that. I, can't, I don't know what's going on in your hearts. And you don't know what's going on in mine. But Jesus is clearly telling us right here that you can know a lot about a person by the fruits of their life. An apple tree puts off apples, a fig tree puts off figs, a strawberry vine puts off strawberries, and a peach tree can't make watermelons, and a pineapple can't make coconuts. It don't work. All right? That's what he's saying right here. He's saying whatever is in your heart is going to come out in your life. It's going to be the fruits of your life. And not only will God know you because he knows your heart, 
But now your neighbors and your families and your friends and you will know who you are by what comes out in your life. So what do we need to do? We need to test ourselves. And if we find out that we are not a child of God, if we find out that we are living in rebellion to Him, if we find out that we are not saved, then we are to repent and believe the gospel. Turn away from what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do in the future, and turn back to Christ and what He's done for you on the cross. Repent. Turn away from those things. Stop trusting in yourself and trust in Him. All right, and so he says this. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. So what is he saying? Yeah. If you're not putting off the right kind of fruit, you're set for judgment. You're set for eternal fire. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. All right, now. There are some people that would actually use that Bible verse right there to say that our works gets us into heaven. Because it's the one that does the will of the Father <coughs> that gets in. You see? So you could almost read into that like a work salvation. Like, if I do God's will, then I get to go to heaven. <coughs> but that's not what he's saying there. What he's saying is, the fruits of your life are in evidence of the roots of of your heart. And if God is in your heart, then your heart's desire is going to be to do the will of your Father who art in heaven. You see how that works? So what he's saying is, doing the will of God is not the prescription for going to heaven. Take two of these and call me tomorrow. It's not a prescription It's a description. So, doing the will of God is not the prescription for going to heaven. It's the description of one who is going there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. All right. Why does an apple tree put off apples? Because it was planted as an apple seed. It grew up as an apple tree, and that's all it can do is put off apples. A child of God has the seed of God planted in them, and what's going to come out? Well, we'll see that here in the next passage. Let's turn over to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I'm sure y'all have probably been in this some in the last couple weeks or so. A lot of people like to preach from this text. Galatians 5. Yes. All right, so I want to leave. I ain't going to lie. I want to leave. And uh, I say I love the Lord and everything. But you saying if I leave, that's like me saying that I don't love the Lord. No. I'm not saying anything like that. No, no, I'm saying like, all right, let's do it. Because I want to leave, right? Because I want to do my own thing. Like, I like I feel you want to trust in the Lord and everything. But I want to do my own thing. Yep. Now it's like, okay, so I, I, I do have to get to class on. Let me answer that very quickly for you, Ray. Right. The Bible says this. No man can serve two masters. He will love one and hate the other. And you said you want to do your thing and you want to serve the Lord. What's going to happen is you're going to wind up loving one of them more than the other. No man can serve two masters. He will love one and hate the other. And so what happens if you go out and live your life to do your thing, you're showing a reflection in your heart who's most important. It's you. All right? And you, this is a free country. If you want to go out and live for you, you go right ahead. But I promise you, living for you is what puts you in that chair. Right. All right. Now, I'm just saying that in love. Oh, I feel you. Okay. All right. 
So trust in the Lord with all your heart and stop leaning on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Okay. So, um, so Galatians 5, Galatians 5, verses 16. We'll start there and we'll see how much of that we can get through. We don't have much time left. Galatians 5, and this is what it says. Verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that you do not do the things that you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Alright, so what he's saying is you're going to serve somebody. You're either going to serve your Spirit, or you're going to serve your flesh, and you can't serve them both. But he says that Christians are not under the law. Now, I hear a lot of people hear that and say, oh, well, I don't have to obey the law anymore. I'm not under the law. That's not what it means. The child of God is not under the condemnation of the law anymore. But in Psalm 1, what does David say? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it does he meditate day and night. See, for the child of God with a regenerate heart, the law becomes a delight. It becomes delightful and joyful to tell the truth instead of lie. It becomes delightful and joyful to not cheat on your wife or your husband. It becomes delightful and joyful to serve God and no other. other. And if that's not in me, if that desire is not in me, then I need to question where my heart is. All right. So what are we to do? If I recognize that desire not in me, I check with God's word and my heart is showing that I'm still in rebellion to God. What am I to do? Repent and believe the gospel. Turn away from trusting yourself and turn to what Christ has done and he will forgive you and save you. And give you the strength and the power to do what you can't do on your own. So it says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. All right, so here's what Paul's going to do. He said, okay, if you're walking by the flesh, these are going to be the fruits of your life. And if you're walking by the Spirit, these will be the fruits of your life. All right, so you're walking one way or the other. You're either walking in Christ and walking in His Spirit, or you're walking in your flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are these. The deeds of the flesh are these. They're evident. What does that mean? They're apparent. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. That's a big word, that big fancy word. And you know a lot of people don't know what that means, but Eve was guilty of sensuality. What are your senses? Smell, sight, taste, hear, and touch. All right? A sensual person is someone who is driven by what looks good, smells good, tastes good, sounds good, and feels good. That's what it means to be sensual. Right? We all are. All right? Now, he says sensuality, impurity, idolatry, sorcery, right? And how many of y'all, I'm sure somebody's told you this in this class before. The Greek word for sorcery is what? A witch. No. <laughs> right? No, what is, the, what is the Greek word for sorcery? I don't know. Pharmakia. Yeah, pharma. oh, oh, he said it. He said it. He said it. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. It's using chemicals to alter your state. All right. Uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, and carousing, and the things like I forewarn you, just I forewarned you, that those who practice these things, and here's that word again, will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
because their actions are a reflection of what's going on in their heart and God is looking at their heart. Not just their actions, but their heart. And so I'm sure we don't have any enmity or strife or jealousy or outbursts of anger or selfish ambitions in this house. I'm I'm sure that's not the case. I know it's the case in my house and I'm the only one that lives there. Okay. Are you with me? Where's the dog at? Uh, yeah. she th- I'm not mad at her. I have screamed at her before, and I've screamed at the cat before. You got a cat, too? Yeah, I got a cat, too. All right. Now, let's, let's get back to focus. We ain't got much time. All right. Um, so, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And look what he says next. But the fruit of the Spirit, if God's Spirit is what's driving you, it's going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control. Right? How many of y'all struggle with smoking still? Oh, right? yeah. We don't smoke. Right? We don't struggle. Right. Yeah, you just you embrace it. That's exactly right. Right? Right. It's, a lot, it's just not having enough control. You, you really have convinced yourself inside. And, and guys, listen, I use nicotine for 30 years. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not preaching at, down at you. I'm preaching with you. I know what it's like. It's a hard addiction to get over. But the reality is, is that you really don't believe that you'll be the one. You, you, somewhere deep down inside of you, you think you'll be the one that'll beat the beater. Or I'll quit someday. Right? I don't really think about it. Yeah, some people don't even think about it. You're right. But the reality is, is nobody's getting over on God. All right? And not only that, matter like eight dollars a pack now. What are you doing? Like you're going broke. All right, enough preaching of that. Now, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's walk in step with the Spirit. Let us not become one of those who are vainglory, challenging one another and envying one another. All right. So Paul has just given you a fruit inspection checklist. Love, check. Joy, check. Patience, check. Patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, long-suffering. All right, I'm walking in the spirit. Anger, wrath, envy, jealousy, strife, heresy, sedition, drunkenness, carousing. Uh-oh, I'm on the wrong path. And what is it we do when we find out we're on the wrong path? What's the word? Repent. And guys, listen, repentance is not just a one-time act that you do to get saved. A matter of fact, as a child of God, God has granted you the gift of repentance, and you're going to know when you grieve Him. And at that very moment, you're repenting. The whole rest of your life is going to be a constant act of turning back to Him. And He'll give you the strength and the ability to do that. He'll give you the, the sensitivity or the, uh, the discernment to know when you're walking astray. And when you do, repent. Turn around and trust Him again. Right? And, and it's beautiful to know that I can always turn to him and find his forgiveness and his strength and his love and his, his goodness. But we have to test ourselves. All right, we'll finish. We've got one more verse and then we'll be done. Look with me at Revelation 21. I got a guy to help me look this up earlier tonight. Revelation 21. Remember, guys, it's not revelations. It's revelation. You'll fail your, your exam if I hear you say revelations. All right? That's just like saying turn to Psalms 23. It's not Psalms 23, Psalm 23, right? That's like turning in your hymn and say, we're going to sing songs number 131. No, that's not how you say that. All right, so Revelation 21, and we'll finish up with this. Look what it says. This is a picture of the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth, 
And Revelation 21, verses 6 to 8. It says, Then he said to me, this is Jesus, They are done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will what? There's our word again. Will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving. Do y'all know what it means to be an unbelief? Did you know that doubt is unbelief? Right? You remember what Peter said? I, and it's one of the greatest prayers in all of the Bible. Help, Lord, my unbelief. Right? Help my unbelief. The person that prays that prayer is recognizing that I still struggle with doubt and still struggle with trusting. But you know what you do when you pray to God and say, help my unbelief? You're repenting, aren't you? You're recognizing that you're struggling with doubt and you're saying, God, you got to help me. Because if you don't, I'm going to keep doubting. So help me. So the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and sexually immoral persons. And there's that word again. Sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see what he's saying? He said you can't go out and live like a child of hell and expect to inherit the kingdom of God. And no child of God can continue to live in that state. Now, I can't tell you what's going on in the hearts of people that die from overdoses. I can't tell you what's going on in the heart of a person who dies from uh, suicide. I can't tell you that. I don't know. I don't know where they are. But I do know this. I do know that suicide and overdose are grasping at creation to give you what only the Creator can give you. And so... Can you break that down? What you just said. Break it like I... And I didn't understand. So, one of the things about suicide is, is that it's man taking in his own hands what he, he's going to say, I'll control even my death. Like it's fear. And it's a fear of the unknown. And it's saying, I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to be in control of my death. And your reality is, if it's not your time to go, you're not going. You're in God's hands. And only God holds your breath in his nose, in his hand. And and so, uh, dying from a, a drug overdose, right? I, I, I have friends that have died from it. And I, I've preached sermons of people who died from drug overdose, and it's horrible. On that note, and we only have three minutes left. We've really got to close, but guys, do yourselves and your family a favor and live your life in such a way that when they bury you, they don't have to wonder where you are. Right. Amen. That can sum up this whole sermon today. Live your life in such a way that nobody has to question where you are when you die. What do I mean? 
I mean that when people look at you, they see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, and long-suffering. They don't see anger, wrath, envy, jealousy, strife, heresy, sedition, drunkenness, and crowd. Live your life according to God's word, according to God's command. And and last thing, test yourself. God, I'm telling you this in love. Because there are people that die that are believers that are living a backslidden and rebellious life. Like there are people that actually die that are his children that aren't living the right way. But you know what? Most of the time he's killed them. He said, you're my kid and I'm not going to let you keep living like that. I'll take you on home. Now, if you don't believe me, go and look at the children in the wilderness. Many of them died in unbelief, didn't they? But the reality is, is that God will take one of his kids on home. He's blessed you and granted you eternal life. And he's put his spirit within you to guide you and to give you control and help you. And if you continue to rebel against him, he'll destroy you. Like he'll take you on out. And you will answer for the gift that he's given you. What have you done with my son? What have you done with the gift of what he poured out on that cross for you? What have you done with the gift of my spirit that we gave you? You see, it's like we have to answer for who we are. And I hope that, and I say this in love, I hope this is a heavy class. Like I hope this stirs you to test yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. This isn't a game. This is your life. All right. Father, thank you for this time you've given us together today. Um, As good as I know how, I've shared your love and your truth and your mercy and your grace with the folks in this room. And Lord, I only say these things because I know that I've struggled in the same way that they have. Only you have the right to judge us. But you know each and every one of us in this room. And my prayer is that if there be a man or a woman here today who has never trusted you, I pray you'd help them to see that and grant them the repentance to turn and to trust you as Lord and Savior. For those who have trusted you that are still struggling with things in their life, continue to bring people into their lives to remind them of your word and your truth so that they can grow and become the person you've created them to be instead of the person that this world is trying to make them into. And so, Lord, I pray that your peace will rest heavy on this house. I pray that you will work in the hearts and minds and lives of all of those here involved. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.